Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Katie Berlin, and I have a guest today that um, I have already, I'm feeling like I'm having deja vu because we already had an online event together, which was so fun. Um, uh, Melissa Allen, welcome to Central Line. It's great to have you. Awesome. Thanks so much, Katie. I know it's definitely one of those things where uh, we've only talked a a couple times, but it's just like such an easy flow of conversation every single time. (laughs) Absolutely. And I feel like that's probably not uncommon for you, Melissa, because um, you're just, you're just a, you have a great presence. um, And you're just, it makes me feel like everything's going to be okay when I talk to you. And I think that that is, that's a good gift for the business that you're in. So (laughs) yes, Um. absolutely. I will share that um, my two strengths on strength finders were positivity and winning others over the woo factor. Oh, you so. have woo. Oh, <laughs> I do. Yeah, that's, I don't think it's that common to have woo. So that's good. I own it. I <laughs> yeah, positivity to. and woo. I love it. Um, on my strengths finder, I'm the one who like gets things started and then like flits off to something else. <laughs> <laughs> I have elements of that too. I think that's what, why I was drawn to entrepreneurship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. Would you mind introducing yourself and just letting people know a little bit about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Melissa Allen. I'm a board certified lifestyle medicine professional, I'm currently working towards my board certification in health and well-being coaching. I have my master's in um, clinical psychology and got my bachelor's in biology and psychology, which a lot of people were like, those are so different, but they're actually not. They're very interconnected. So it works well with uh, where I've kind of found myself myself in the well-being space. Um I have a dog. His name is Buddy. He's a 13-year-old golden lab mix. And I'm a recent cat mom. We rescued Yay. a kitten. Yeah, Jackie. <laughs> he's the best. He's so entertaining. And he's basically a dog in a cat's body. So uh, <laughs> him, him and Buddy get along pretty well. <laughs> Love it. And Buddy is Buddy shows up frequently in your social media because he's your mascot, right? <gasps> yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, for those who are watching online, I have <laughs> like it. him on my little you know shoulder <laughs> for my shirts and things like that. Um, but yes, he is the mascot for my business, the Mind Body Thrive Lifestyle, uh, which is dedicated to providing providing veterinary well being services, programs, and online resources. Very cool. And uh, I found you on Instagram because, um, you know, how Instagram is always suggesting people you might want to follow. I was like, well, actually, yes, I do. Thank you very much, Instagram. And when I saw that you were doing meditations on Insight Timer specifically for veterinary professionals, I was like, Mm -hmm. in, I got to know this woman. And so (laughs) I love that um, Insight Timer for anybody who um, isn't familiar with it is an app that um, has you know, it's, there's a free version you can pay too. So you can have like folders and stuff Mm -hmm. and there's some bonus content, but you can access the app for free. And there's like hundreds of thousands of meditation tracks on there. It's so good. Yeah. And so you can actually find Melissa's veterinary specific meditations on there. And uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes too, because, uh, as well as, as your website, because, um, it's, like so long overdue that mm-hmm. there should be meditation specifically for the vet space. So um, yeah, at quick and quick and easy ones. Yeah, because I know y'all are crunched for time. So want them to be quick and effective. 
Yes. And they really do help. Like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. we did an episode last year with Patty Casebolt, um, who was talking about mindfulness and meditation and yeah. how, you know, you can just take mindful moments now and then versus like having to really throw yourself into, you know, I'm going to sit here silently for 20 minutes at a time. That is right. really hard at the beginning. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard, not at the beginning. Sometimes it's right. Hard. It's called um, a practice for a reason. Exactly. You got to practice. <laughs> yeah. But just something that makes you take a breath um, mm-hmm. can be so life changing or, mo- you know, changing in certain moments where you really need to like stop and take a breath. Yeah, absolutely. It's, <laughs> Which it's we a have good... many of in vet med. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's a great way to help downregulate your stress response for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I wanted to ask you to, uh, what is it? What is lifestyle medicine? What does that mean? Yeah, um, I'm so glad you brought that up because I always forget since I'm ingrained in like the human healthcare world, it's a lot more familiar in that arena. Um, But it's actually a subsection of medicine. It's a it's a formalized specialty that looks at six health behaviors. And that's physical activity, nutrition, stress management, healthy sleep, positive social connections, and then avoiding risky substances. And it takes those to a therapeutic level. So there's actually providers that can prescribe these different lifestyle behaviors specifically for chronic diseases that are related to our health behaviors. Um, So it really helps to focus on that whole health approach for behavioral risk reduction to help prevent, treat, and sometimes even reverse lifestyle-related chronic diseases. That's really neat. And you know, when it comes to veterinary medicine, like we don't call it lifestyle medicine, but I feel like we're starting to talk in those terms for animals as well. Um, Mm -hmm. We just, we just maybe don't think about it that way all the time. But like, when we talk about fear free and low stress um, handling, you know, and not creating a lot of emotional distress for pets, um, Mm -hmm. how we can work on their environmental enrichment and make sure they get enough activity. And we've always been really focused on nutrition, you know, at least in the past Mm -hmm. 50 years or so. Um, And then, you know, just ways that, um, that we can enrich their lives so that they're happier. We, we sort of talk about that as, as a part of health. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that with people, sometimes it can be so hard to draw those connections in our minds, like when it comes to ourselves. <laughs> I can so hear true. like everyone listening when you were like listing off the the, the pillars, you know, and I was yep. like, oh my gosh, like <laughs> none of those things were happening at periods in my career. So Right? I know. <laughs> yep. I hear you on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's that's mm-hmm. really great. Um, and, you know, I we ask everybody to tell us the answer to kind of a personal question. And, you know, at AHA, we have guidelines um, for best practices for how to manage certain conditions, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think overall, we just, I like to think about that principle of guiding, you know, not forcing, not telling, but gently guiding people along the path. And so when it comes to your work, what guides you? Uh, I love this question. And I love that you just made that comparison too, because a lot of times when we're in clinical roles, we take very much the expert approach to things mm. and, and tell people what they need to do. But you really need to elicit that 
that what drives them internally, right? And that yeah. actually falls under more of the coach approach, which is very yeah. much a focus of lifestyle medicine too. Um, so when it comes to guiding, you know, really that boils down to a journey, doesn't it? And yeah. I think I think for me, my journey is um, a little all over the place, but I'm so happy with where I've landed because ultimately I just want to help people have hope and to recognize that they can come out on the other side of really challenging situations. Um, I like to say, you know, knowing that you've been burnt to a crisp, that you can still recover from that and create a life that you love. And that's why I'm so driven to help educate people on what some of those strategies can look like and help them to feel empowered to create more of that mindset and that lifestyle that's going to help them live their full potential. And and, uh, and I'm just now realizing I didn't mention in my intro the whole reason that I'm in the veterinary space in the first place. Uh, I've never worked directly in the vet industry, but I was an animal trainer for about seven years um, between the Navy's Marine Mammal Program and SeaWorld Orlando. So I worked alongside a lot of vet pros, and I was even involved in pre-veterinary society at the University of Central Florida during undergrad because, you know, got to get those animal volunteer opportunities, right? Right. Um, and so during that time, you know, I, I just got so ingrained in that culture and had so many connections there that going through COVID, I really saw a discrepancy between the way that human healthcare, which is where my full-time job is right now, um, were being, you know, touted as healthcare heroes. They were getting so much appreciation and gratitude for the work that they were doing. And all I kept seeing on my personal social media feeds and hearing from my connections was like, we're struggling too, and nobody knows. It, and so it just kind of felt like this entire community were living as like the invisible healthcare heroes going through the same PPE shortage, staff shortages, you know, all of these unique challenges that were faced during that time without nearly the same amount of support resources. And so that's when I started really pivoting my business to help beef up the the space a little bit in terms of the veterinary well-being resources and um, services that are provided. Well, I'm I'm sure I speak for many of us and I say I'm so grateful that you did because you're right. There is a big discrepancy. And every time I hear about a program, you know, designed to help improve well-being of human healthcare workers, I'm like, wait, we need that, you know? Mm. Um, and this is certainly not to say that human healthcare workers have it easier. That is a really, really hard field to be in. And most of yeah. us are in vet med because we think people are kind of gross. So we don't actually want to <laughs> right? touch them. So like, thank you, human healthcare <laughs> workers. Like, thank you so much. Um, it is yep. really, really hard to do what you do. But um, our teams were in, um, we're on the front lines too, and facing mm -hmm. a lot of really difficult factors that have not ended. Um, right. You know, some of them existed before and COVID just magnified them and others yeah. um, just really hit a new level during that time. Um, and it, it, it got really, really hard. And I think a good thing to come out of it was there have been, there has been a lot of attention on all of the challenges that vet teams face because they got so dire yeah. So I hate that they had to get dire for some people to pay attention, but also at least now people I think are sitting up and paying attention. And, um, and it means a lot that you, you made that decision, you know, to, to really focus on this, this area. 
Um, also being an animal trainer, like for marine mammals is pretty, is pretty rad. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that was definitely that's one of those jobs, you know? <laughs> yeah. It was the childhood dream. I am so grateful for the time that I got to spend, you know, training so many different species of animals, so many different behaviors, all of the things I learned about animal husbandry during that time too, especially from the veterinary teams that I worked with. Um, it also introduced me to my fiance. So, you oh. know, that, that's not so bad either. I know yeah. he, he hates when I say this, but uh, we were both at Sea Lion Stadium together and we did the Sea Lion show, which at the time it was called Sea Lion High School. So I like to say that we're high school sweethearts. <laughs> what we high school? Up... Sea Lion. Sea Lion High School. Sea Lion High School. You know. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. I have a great time with it, but he just always rolls his eyes. And I love it. <laughs> Well, that's great. And I know, you know, there's been a lot of stuff um, in the news and on documentaries and stuff about marine mammals in captivity. And of course, like, you know, that is a tough subject, but it mm-hmm. it is encouraging to know that really great people um, are helping those animals and making sure that their welfare is being looked after. So, yeah, um, yeah, it uh, definitely one of those jobs you, you you're like, do people actually have that job? Like, is that a real <laughs> <Right>? job? <laughs> seems like a seems like a movie job so that's that's yeah. really awesome and we there's can, definitely I was gonna say there's definitely some elements that parallel vet medicine at times where it's like I sacrifice my own well-being to show up for those animals quite yeah. often and uh, and I'll talk a little bit about one of the stories that I'll share as we get into you know the topic for today but um, I definitely see a lot of that in the vet industry as well so yes um, yeah just experiences all around to learn yeah. from <laughs> absolutely um well so when we were first chatting over email, um, you had sent me a website um, that you you were like, hey, this is something I kind of want to, you know, I'd love to talk about um, on the podcast or whatever. And um, it was something I hadn't heard specifically applied to veterinary medicine. And so I thought that was a really cool uh, place to start. And I'm really glad that you that you sent me that. Um, and it's a website. Um, it's actually a government website for uh, from the VA, right? Yep. And it's about something called stress first aid. Can you talk about that? What is that? Yeah, so this is actually a framework that was created by doctors Patricia Watson, who I got to take my train the trainer from to learn how to facilitate stress first aid. Um, And it it was just such a wonderful experience. She's an incredible person. And I hope I do her subject justice today. So Dr. Watson, uh, if you ever watch this episode, I hope I did you proud. Um, and she I'm sure she'll be it. thrilled that you're bringing it to a new space. She, you know, she was Yeah, actually, when I um, when I first chatted with her, because um, her and her colleague, Dr. Richard Westfall, um, they created this program originally to serve the Navy and the Marine Corps as a way to just kind of provide a model of peer support, provide some common language, and just to start the conversation about how to talk about these stress reactions and stress injuries. So it was originally developed for military populations, but there's been different iterations that have 
kind of risen from this framework to serve other high stress occupations. So there is some out there for like forest rescue for probation officers. Um, and then the one that's on there right now was um, from the American Medical Association that funded it, but it's a healthcare worker specific guide that has all of the facilitator resources, all of the participant guides, the presentations. And the reason that they wanted to do that was so it was freely accessible to anyone who might need it. Um, so it's, it's fabulous resources out there. And really, it just helps to provide that common language and help people start to recognize and identify stress injuries and reactions in themselves and others. And then from there, be able to have this model of self-care actions, um, peer support and coworker support, as well as for leadership to try to help, you know, like ingrain this into the culture of different types of industries, departments, and things like that. Um, so when I, when I approached her about extending this framework of hers to the veterinary industry, she, she was like, oh yeah, you know, that sounds interesting. Let's chat about it. And between the time that I pitched it to when her and I met, she was like, listen, I talked to my niece who is a veterinary nurse and she was telling me how much the industry is. And she was like, I had no idea. So she's like, yes, you have my blessing. Like, please take it and run. So um, yes, I'm sure she'll be very excited to hear uh, this episode when it gets released. That is, that's great. That's amazing. And also such a common story, right? That like, yeah. We'll go to somebody involved in human health and we'll be like, you know, hey, we, we need some resources for, you know, mental health or well-being. And they'll be like, why? You know, or okay, that's fine. Because we yeah, they're like, don't y'all play with animals? All right? Day? <laughs> like we play with puppies and kittens. It's so cute. Like, why are we stressed? Yeah. And they, they have no idea. Um, and yeah. it's not through through bad intent. They just don't know. Right. Um, we're a relatively small group. And and we forget that, I think, that people, we're not in the public eye the way that we sometimes feel like we are, um, yeah. at least not for the, the right reasons. <laughs> uh, <I know. laughs> anyway, it's a whole other story. But yeah, um, but yeah, this booklet for the Stress First Aid for Healthcare Workers um, is a free PDF. You can just download it. And I will put the link in the show notes um, because it was really interesting. And I have to yeah. say, I just have to insert this here, like when you're talking about stress reactions and stress injury, um, this instantly, you know, triggered something in my mind because I'm a runner and anybody who's done a lot of like repetitive endurance sports, especially high impact ones, knows about stress fractures. And stress fractures happen when you either have a weakened bone or um, you just pound too hard for too long. And um and the bone ha gets these like tiny little microscopic fractures in it. And sometimes they don't even show up on x-ray, but they can be debilitating, like super yeah. painful and take weeks to heal. And um, the first sign of those is often, you know, it hurts and maybe you mm -hmm. get an MRI or an x-ray and there's like something there, but it's not a fracture and it's called a stress reaction. And that's like the warning sign. Like if you have a stress reaction, you have to back off and start doing something differently because mm -hmm. otherwise you are going to get that stress injury, um, that stress yep. fracture. And it just seemed so apt here where mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you're seeing these signs and that's the time to do something, not when the person is debilitated and can't come to work or is reacting in a completely uncharacteristic way. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it, you got to intervene earlier. And I feel like this framework should really help do that. 
Yeah. And just like we were kind of talking about earlier with like the whole COVID situation, how it it kind of shone a light on issues that were already existing. I called COVID like the pressure cooker of the world because oh, yeah. it was just like everything oh was kind of contained that it just like kind of blew up, blew open and exploded and made yeah. a huge mess. And uh, yeah. now, now, you know, we're still trying to pick up the pieces and everything, but society in general tends to not be the best at being proactive with yeah. things, especially with our health. Um, and so that's why I love lifestyle medicine so much because it is taking more of that proactive instead of reactive approach to your health and well-being. And, and it's not just physical health. You know, it has a lot to deal with mental health and well-being and emotional well-being. So, um, you know, it really takes that that whole health approach and applies it in a proactive way. Um, but it can also be used on the reactionary side, too. And since stress management is one of those pillars, I was so excited to see that this framework even existed. And like, as you're learning about stress first aid, you're probably going to be like, oh, well, I already do some of that stuff. And and like, that's the whole point is like, chances are there's ways that you found to be able to navigate some of these, like, um, you know, mitigating some stress reactions, either in yourself or in others. And you're already practicing some of these things. But with stress first aid, it really provides more of like a comprehensive and flexible framework. I think that's the part that I like about it the most, too, is like, I always tell people you have to find what works best for you in like whatever it is that you're trying to do in life, right? Um, especially when it comes to health behavior change and trying to establish new habits. And so first of all, just even recognizing where your stress is at certain points in time. And in thinking about it from a first aid model, you know, when you're getting trained in administering physical first aid, you can typically see that there's an injury that needs to be addressed, right? Or, yeah. or someone, you know, is unconscious on the floor. And that's when your training kicks in and you're like, okay, here we go. Um, so what what's usually the first thing that you have to do, you have to like check and make sure that the scene is safe. But then you also have to recognize what's going on. Like, what is the situation that you're dealing with? And that's where... I, I, we don't have visuals for this, but if you go on the stress first aid website, you will see them. There is a stress continuum that shows from like the green to the yellow to the orange to the red zone. Um, not like football red zone, although I love football season and, <laughs> uh, red zone is really where you don't want to get stuck. Um, but it's just this nice spectrum to think about, you know, like checking in on yourself. Sometimes it's hard to verbalize what what it is that you're feeling at a certain time. And so the stress continuum kind of breaks down. Green is where like you are functioning optimally. Like you are well, you're performing, you know, at your optimal performance. Um, yellow is where like maybe there's something a little off, uh, something kind of stuck with you or somebody just kind of irritated you for the day, but it's not taking a significant impact on your well-being or your performance. The orange and red zone is where that starts to show up. And and at any point in time, you can fluctuate between like the green to the red zone and back again within the span of a day or even a few hours. So yeah. it's, really, yeah, it's really just I, a tool. I'm thinking of examples right now. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and it's really just a tool to be able to help you better identify and recognize like, where am I at right now? Um, because that's what's going to inform what kind of action you take afterwards. And it can also help you recognize that in other people, too. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. So, it, you know, normally when you think about first aid, I feel like you think about it 
in terms of other people, like, you know, somebody's bleeding, here's what you can do to help them. I feel like obviously you can do first aid on yourself if it's not Mm -hmm. an injury that prevents you from doing so. But, you know, I feel like when you're like, I know first aid, it's because somebody else is hurt. And is stress first aid predominantly something that's designed to do for yourself and to help you help yourself? Or is it designed for you to help others or equally either one? Yeah, it's meant to to cover all those aspects and okay. even more, right? It was originally created for like the individual and the team, but then there's also a component that's person-centered stress first aid, which is like interactions with other people. And mm-hmm. that's where even this framework can come in handy when dealing with clients that are experiencing that stress arousal and injury. Um, and yeah, you're so right. Like even with with regular first aid, there's usually a physical injury that you can see with your eyeballs. <laughs> you can't really see that with a stress injury, right? It's invisible. And you, you know, either have to ask people the right questions to kind of see if they're experiencing a stress reaction or stress injury or checking in on that with yourself. Um And it's basically like a triage for recognizing and treating those stress injuries. And and that's a term that I just kind of want to break down really quickly, too, because I I love the analogy that you gave with like the stress reaction versus the stress injury when it came to, you know, that physical injury of running too hard, too fast, and having to give yourself that space to recover. With stress injuries, there's usually like four different categories that come up, and And as I'm going through these, you'll probably be like, yep, check, check, been there. Like, maybe I'm there right now. Um, But the first one is trauma. We don't have to be overachievers at everything, everyone. (laughs) Right. Yes. It's not a competition. (laughs) It's not a competition. Um, But the first one is trauma because in your roles, you're going to experience some level of trauma in some way, shape, or form. So when it comes to traumatic injuries, um, it is going to be subjective to each and every person, right? Just like stress is also subjective. It's our perception of a certain experience. Um, Two people could be involved in a car accident and one could walk away just a little shaken up, but the other person could walk away with trauma and potentially develop something like post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so, So recognizing that it is going to be a unique and individual experience for everyone, but then there's also opportunities where, or, I should say instances in which it's more of a collective experience, right? Um, So there's trauma. The second one is loss. So that's going to be a grief injury. Again, something that we all experienced during COVID, especially whether it was um, loss of life, loss of opportunities to maybe travel or have celebrations, loss of jobs. You know, there's so many different instances where loss can show up. Um, The third one is inner conflict, and this is where moral injury kind of comes in, and that's going to be where maybe you're seeing things that go against your moral compass, but maybe there's no other opportunity for you to act in alignment with your values. Like, it's just, it is what it is at that point. Um, So that, that inner conflict and that moral injury can show up. And then the last one I'm sure we're all familiar with, it's wear and tear. So it's that fatigue injury. So it's that accumulation of stress over time that, you know, just wears and tears you down. So so those are the four different categories of stress injuries. And that can also be helpful when it comes to trying to conceptualize and identify what your stress is. If you're a fan of Central Line, there's a good chance you're a super fan of VetMed. 
Well, I've got big news. AhaCon, the ultimate event for veterinary superfans, is coming to San Diego, the home of the con, this September. Level up your skills, knowledge, and connection with more medical and scientific tracks, a killer keynote, and interactive learning experiences for the entire veterinary team. Early bird registration is open now. Visit aha.org slash ahacon. That's aha.org slash A-A-H-A-C-O-N to learn more and save your spot. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> I was going <laughs> to... Were you taking I, notes? <laughs> yeah, well, I was. I was writing down those four because I saw them when I read the booklet and then, um, but I hadn't mm-hmm. written them down. And I mean, if there's ever a list that every single person listening to this could relate to, right? Like, and a couple of things were coming to mind when I was listening to you just now, you know, trauma for sure, and grief, those, those I feel like are, we sometimes put in a separate category from the wear and tear and the, mm-hmm. and the inner conflict because wear and tear and inner conflict, we know we encounter like, you know, that's just yeah. all day, every day, it seems like in vet med, because <laughs> We don't get to make the decisions about who gets what care most of the time. You know, we have Mm -hmm. to work with human, other humans that make those decisions or that you just create the conditions out of that we have to, to work under out of necessity. Um, And so there's a, there's very little control there sometimes. And that's very hard. The grief and trauma, it took me a while in vet med to realize that what we go through on a daily basis um, really is trauma and produces a lot of grief. Um, because to me, trauma, like you said, I think of a car accident, I think of war, I think of yeah. cancer, you know, I think of trauma as being these like enormous events. And, and like, I don't have a right to think about things that I go through as trauma, if they're not those events. Mm. Um, and the same thing goes for grief, as I heard a lot of conversations about this during the the height of the pandemic where people were talking about grief and like people would feel bad for like not being able to go to a Taylor Swift concert, you know, because (laughs) of the pandemic when other people were dying. And it's like, I think I heard an expert on grief say that grief is grief. And like Mm. the physical and emotional sensations are the same, whether, you know, it's due to this cause or this cause. And so you have a friend that likes to say, it's not the, it's not the, the grief Olympics. It's not the pain Olympics because you're allowed to feel grief and you're allowed to know that you've been through trauma, even if it's not Mm -hmm. on uh, around the same causes as, as someone else. Um, Is that something that this framework sort of helps us discuss and talk about? Um, Or is that something that you sort of come into the framework having done a little bit of work to realize that? Because there are a lot of people th- listening who are like, I don't go through trauma, but we sure. do. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that's one of the first big barriers, too, is like we don't want to admit it to ourselves because yeah. it, it it might be stigmatized as like a weakness if you think that you've experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even with grief, you know, th- we run into this issue where we have this phenomenon called comparative suffering. And it's yes. where we we think we minimize our own experiences because we think someone out there probably has it worse than us, or we know someone who's been through something more traumatic, or you know, it's just it's one of those things that only hurts us more. And mm-hmm. so, for stress first aid, it helps you to you know just kind of recognize 
what's going on for you with that emotional spectrum, with your stress levels, and then from there, be able to take self-care actions to support yourself through whatever it is that you're experiencing um, and even provide some coworker support if you notice changes in behavior in your coworkers or if someone comes to you for help. Um, that's kind of where the seven C's model of stress first aid comes in. And this is really like the meat of the program, like the meat and potatoes of stress first aid is uh, the seven C's model. And that's going to walk you through the different action steps that you take where there's a stressor that's been experienced. And whether you found it traumatic or not, like if you just notice that you're off or something is different about you, you're just feeling kind of funky, you can use this model to provide support for yourself. But you also have to be willing to support yourself through that too. And I know that there's some people out there who really want to take the suck it up buttercup mentality, <laughs> but it's only going to do you more damage over time because our body, our body responds differently to stress when we interpret that stress differently. And there's a really great TED talk about it. Um, Dr. Kelly McGonigal talks mm -hmm. about how we can make stress our friend. And she talks, she shows research on how if we think about stress as something that is helping us and assisting us to show up and encounter a challenge and take it on head first, then our body like channels those resources in a different way than if we were thinking, oh no, I'm stressed. And then you start getting anxious about being stressed and you go on this, what if, you know, worry spiral. And so all of that to say, checking in on yourself and on others is that first C is check. And it's such an important step because it shows up throughout the entire seven C's model. So as you're working through each of the seven C's, check and the second step, coordinate, are constantly present throughout that entire cycle. And as much as we would love for it to, you know, go in a nice little circle, it, that's usually not how it happens. Usually there's some <laughs> bouncing around, right? Life is not linear. As much as we would like even these theoretical frameworks to be linear as well and to go according to plan, it doesn't always go that way. And so that's where you have to, you know, just be flexible, use it as an informed model to really tackle some of these things um, and and just doing the best that you can. I think that's one of the things that I want people to walk away with is like, maybe you don't have training in mental health. But you don't really need it to be able to still support someone and yourself in a way that shows you care. Mm. So, so for check, constantly present throughout the cycle. Coordinate, also constantly present. And that is just going to refer to coordinating some sort of action. Like, do you need to coordinate follow-up resources for this person? Do you need to coordinate that next level of care? Um, especially if someone comes up to you saying that they're in danger or someone else is in danger, that's when you really need to focus on what, what needs to happen to keep everyone safe in this. And that's actually the third C, which is cover. So just ensuring everyone is safe and or getting them to a place where they can be safe, whatever that might look like. Um, and once you are somewhere safe, the fourth C is calm. 
And so this is where finding those strategies to just help downregulate your nervous system a little bit. Um, you're not going to feel, you know, totally zen and completely relaxed. I think that's a little unrealistic to expect. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just about finding some different strategies to to help you feel grounded and secure during that time and to help try to at least calm your physiological response. So that's going to be some deep breathing, um, grounding practices, and that could look like find five things that you can see in this room. Listen for four sounds and it's the five, four, three, two, one. So you can, you know, three things you can feel, two things that you can smell and one thing you can taste and just walk through all the senses. And that just helps bring you back to the present moment. Or so, do a veterinary meditation on insight time. <gasps> Or that one too. <laughs> I do have one that I absolutely love sharing called the mindful minute, which is where you just deep breathe for 60 seconds. And if you can count the number of breaths that you take during that 60 seconds, bam, you can take a mindful minute wherever you are by just taking those same slow, deep breaths. I love um, that. Yeah. And that's one of the fastest ways to help ourselves kind of get out of that state of fight or flight. Um, because when we deep breathe, like all the way into the belly, it like tickles our vagus nerve, which goes along the spine and is really active in the relaxation response, which is the opposite of the stress response. So they work in opposition of each other. Um, so, so yeah, that's calm. I could talk about calm all day because there's so many different strategies. <laughs> that's a whole that you episode on its own. Yeah, <laughs> I think it could I, be. <laughs> I have my little my little breathing Buddha here. So, oh, if, so he lights up. In this is something Patty Casebolt taught me is this four seven eight breathing. So you yeah. like inhale for four, hold for seven, and then exhale for eight. And he changes color according to the counts of four, seven, and eight. So you can like breathe along with Buddha. Anyway, so if I you're listening and that. not watching, I have this like little squishy. He's like squishy. <laughs> and he's this little squishy like USB charged Buddha, and he just helps you breathe. And I keep him on my desk for moments when I need to take a minute before responding to someone. Yeah. Yes. Um, so he just. <laughs> He just sits here. Sometimes it works. <laughs> I, it was so funny because as soon as you turned the light on, I found uh -huh. myself like breathing right? in and then it changed and I just automatically started breathing out. <laughs> I so, know. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. 20 bucks on Amazon. You know, that's so funny. Oh my gosh. Anyway. <laughs> Might need to go shopping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, the breath is very powerful and uh, something that has kind of started catching popularity that I haven't looked a lot into, but I'm, I'm curious about it is breath work. Um, mm -hmm. So just changing different breathing patterns to either energize you, help you relax, um, work through like physiological arousal. So that's that's an area that I find fascinating. And I just don't have the time or energy to try to explore it right now. But I am very curious about it. Um, Next so, chapter. Yes, exactly. So uh, so we've got through four of the seven C's so far. We have check, coordinate, cover and calm. The next one is connect. Because when you can connect to social support, whether that's professional support, going and seeking uh, therapy services, whether that's connecting with groups that are going through similar challenges like other peer support groups outside, um, or if you're in the workplace and you're concerned about someone like going home or concerned about yourself, making sure that they're connected to people who care about them after they leave wherever they are. So like going home to someone that is supportive or making sure that they can call a friend or a family member that they can feel connected to and comforted by. Um, 
So that's number five. Number six is competence. Because what what tends to happen is uh, we get really down on ourselves. And uh, if we, for example, if you like mess up in the workplace, your ego kind of takes a hit and then you like beat yourself down when you've already fallen. And it doesn't really to help you get out of that. So instead of trying to take on something that maybe you're just learning still, getting familiar with, Try to go back to skills that you have mastered, things that you know you're like 98% confident you're not going to mess up. And that's going to help to kind of restore your belief in yourself. It's going to help kind of uh, soothe that bruised ego a bit. And you're going to start feeling like you can take on hard things again. And once competence has kind of run its course, that's when we come back to confidence. And this is just being able to restore your self-esteem, restore your hope. Um, you're able to take on challenges again without kind of going into that that negative spiral. That negative spiral. Um, so those are the seven C's of stress first aid, and it's really just an opportunity to allow yourself to practice it in different ways for yourself, for your teams, for your coworkers to help create this flexible model of how to approach these stress injuries and reactions in a way that is supportive. And ultimately, the hope is for stress first aid to become ingrained within a workplace setting so that it's just like second nature and you can have these conversations and it helps to break the stigma around these conversations. And some of the ways that I've seen it used is um, people kind of doing like a, like a pulse check on their units. And one of my favorite instances of this was like a big whiteboard that they had different colored sticky notes that people could just go pick up a sticky note and slap it where they felt they were on the stress continuum for the day. So you can kind of get a visual of where your team is at too. And if there's a lot of orange that you're seeing, a lot of red that you're seeing, maybe you're able to kind of like call a quick group together to be like, what do we need? Like what either a practice manager saying like, what can I do to support you all? Or like, maybe let's just all take a breath together. Um, let's order some pizza. <laughs> just kidding. I know it's that always was the pizza, right? <laughs> but that one I was like, always the joke. <laughs> pizza can't be the only thing, but it doesn't hurt. I'm just yes. saying, like, yes. pizza can't be the the end. But if no one's <laughs> mad about having pizza, as long as it's not like the only thing you do, it's just saying that. Like, pizza gets a bad rap, but uh, yeah, yeah, that is true. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I love that idea of having that that scale because like I don't know if you've ever seen in vet clinics and like the aha pain guide pain management guidelines that came out last year in 2022 talked a lot about using these um clinical metrology instruments to Mm. you know basically scales to help people um you know more consistently grade pain in our patients and so like the Colorado pain scale is one of the most frequently used and it'll have like you know pictures of what the animal might look like you know from and it'll often be color coded from green to red mm. and like we'll do the same thing for fear free we'll have um you know it's uh fear anxiety and stress the fas scale mm-hmm. to show how stressed the animals are getting based on their behavior and reactions and like we would never 
look at an animal in a fear-free hospital anyway, or a hospital that practiced with fear-free type principles, Mm -hmm. um, which is trying to produce, you know, positive interactions, low stress, not forcing, I call it a no torture policy, you know, like we would never look at an animal who was in the red, who had an FAS of five, you know, we would never look at that animal and just be like, suck it up, buttercup, you know, that's just (laughs) not something that we do anymore. And practices that are still doing that are are getting fewer and farther between. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember like having technicians like throw themselves on top of patients so we could like trim their nails. And it was yeah. horrible to watch, you know, like it just felt really bad. Like it just never felt good and it would get it done, but it would make it that much harder the next time for everybody involved. And it was right. just not. And we figured out that that does harm not just to the animal, but to the people who are involved in that whole interaction. It just never feels good. And yet we have absolutely no problem looking at ourselves when we're in the red and being like, just do it, you know, Mm -hmm. or like suck it up buttercup to the coworker who's having a bad day because something's going on in their personal life or, you know, it's been too many bad days in a row and we'll send them into a difficult Mm. surgery because it's on the schedule and they're supposed to do it. And it's like, maybe that day that person could trim some nails or like draw blood for routine labs and somebody else could go into that surgery or, you know, whatever yeah. substitutions we could make so that that person has the space they need because yeah. we, we do, we do that to ourselves all the time. Right. And, and that's usually when mistakes are going to happen too, right? Yeah. Like if people aren't in the right frame of mind or if they're sleep deprived and things like that, that's when more errors are likely to happen. So yeah. it, it not only sets a person up not for the greatest success, but also the team. Yeah. Do you think, like, I don't know how widespread it, the, the stress first aid framework is in human healthcare and, mm-hmm. and um, mental health care? Like, do you feel like, um, say, for instance, in a hospital, your average human hospital, this would be a framework that that would be accepted and people would try to implement? Or do you think there's still a fair amount of resistance to stuff like that in human health? It really depends on the teams, um, not just the teams, the leaders of those teams. Mm-hmm. That's usually where you'll run into the most resistance. And, and it's an unfortunate reality because sometimes the people on their teams are the ones that need it most and the ones that are, are going to be looked at like with side eye, if it's like, Hey, I could use some support. And they're like, well, no, like just go do your job. (laughs) Yeah. And so, so it is something that's, that's emerging. Um, I can't remember, I think it was either during or the year after like COVID really blew up that the human healthcare iteration was created. Um, So I don't think it's gotten the same kind of traction that it could to be able to be beneficial, but also it's up against like trauma informed care. That's a big movement that's going Mm -hmm. on at the same time too. And they're very compatible because stress first aid isn't meant to try to replace anything that exists. It just kind of comes in as an additional support resource. So, so I think that's the biggest issue is like, it really depends on the teams, what kind of culture the leaders are creating um, and just even knowing about it in the first place too. Cause a lot of institutions don't even know that this is accessible. Yes, um, that is a huge part of of all of these initiatives. It's just awareness for sure. And it's not like one 
initiative is going to shove all the other ones out of the way. You know, like you said, right. there are, you can have multiple initiatives, multiple frameworks, and they can all have benefits and they can all be put into use without it being like an either or situation. And a lot mm-hmm. of them do seem to be, you know, a lot of the principles, the principles of the brain and of well-being and of health, they're not, it's not like they've drastically changed. We're just coming right. aware of how, how connected everything is, it mm-hmm. seems like. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. What do you think that we in vet med can learn from from the work that's being done in human healthcare and you know the adoption of frameworks like stress first aid? Yeah, I think it's just going to be able to provide a more robust approach to providing the support that's necessary. You know, I think mm-hmm. I think it was almost it sounds crazy to say, but it almost seems like it was a luxury for a while for there to even be the minimal resources that were available in vet med. And so to now be able to help bolster that space and to provide these different types of approaches. um, I mean, that's something that human healthcare, like there's so many different subspecialties, uh, just like there is in vet med, that trying to get everyone on the same page for the same thing is going to be impossible. And so it's really just about exploring and, and knowing your teams. And like, do you think that this is something that they would find beneficial? And if you have a team, you know, that's maybe a little skeptical about things like this, um, even just kind of introducing it and saying, like, what do y'all think about this? And I mean, if you're if your clinic is pretty crispy and burnt out, like you're probably going to get a bunch of eye rolls and be like, why are you bringing this to us? <laughs> but that's that could be the clinic that needs it the most. So yeah. really, even just being able to plant those seeds and letting people know this is available, keeping it visible, like even just having it somewhere that is seen will be the time that people can seek it out when they need it most. Um, so so I hope that's helpful and you know, yeah. kind of wrapping, wrapping that piece of it up. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think that like, even though it's not veterinary specific, a lot of the stuff in this, in this booklet for healthcare workers could be applied to veterinary professionals too. Mm-hmm. But it would be great if we had something that was, you know, that was designed specifically for veterinary practices. And I'm just thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, other people that I've talked to recently, um, like Josh Weissman, who was yeah. on the podcast um, recently and and has, when we're recording this, it's not out, but his book mm-hmm. is coming out May 22nd. And it's, it's about creating um, positive leadership and positive workplaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of that is designed to help stuff like this be put into practice and then also not be needed as much, you know, that we have to have an environment that's safe enough that we can put that Mm post-it on the red, you know, if, if that's for real and let everybody know, be vulnerable enough, vulnerable enough to say like, I'm in the red today, you know, and I need, I need some help. Um, So is that a plan that you have to try to develop this for the veterinary community specifically? Funny you should mention that. (laughs) Um, Because, yes, I mean, while the resources are out there right now and it it is jam-packed with valuable information, you can pull the facilitator guide, the presentations all have speaker notes. And so you could bring this to your teams, but knowing the shortage on time that people have, um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be able to help be a resource for if you want to do 
like a 30 minute briefing with your team about stress first aid. If you want to do an in-depth four hour workshop, I like to call them uh, work retreats because I always try to make it like fun and um, enjoyable and entertaining. So you could really dive in depth into each one of those components of stress first aid. Um, But yes, Dr. Watson and I are actually trying to seek funding to be able to develop a veterinary specific stress first aid basically kit like that the one that exists on the website from the VA um, to be able to host focus groups with veterinary professionals, to be able to have relevant examples that really speak to the population that it's being delivered to. And while there's a lot of parallels with human healthcare, there's also so many unique instances. Y'all's yeah. patients can't talk to you. So that's yeah. a whole other level of and complication. They, <laughs> and they come with humans that usually have absolutely no problem talking to us. <laughs> That too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so we would love to be able to talk with any organizations that, that would be interested in sponsoring a project like that to be able to make it an open access resource um, to the entire veterinary community. So that is something that, that's on, on the hopes and keeping our fingers crossed that there's interested parties out there to help us out. I hope so, too. And I hope this helps get the word out about that also, because I do think that's so important. We can't have too many resources, you know, There's, right. there can't be too many. Um, and yes. this this seems like it could really be a format that people relate to mm-hmm. and that um, doesn't make people feel like they have to overhaul their entire work culture in order to implement some things right away, which yeah. is so important because mm-hmm. nobody got time for that right, <laughs> right now. Um, so true. Yeah. Okay, so last question. Well, I have two questions for you. One is, um, where can people find you if they want to contact you or learn more about this or about what you do? The easiest place to find me is going to be on my website, which is www.veterinary-wellbeing.com. And then on Instagram, my handle is veterinary underscore well-being. So those are the two places that I tend to frequent the most. I am also on LinkedIn, so you can search my name and I'll pop up there too. And you have a Facebook community that you help to moderate, right? I do. Yes. The lovely Rebecca Rose um, Mm -hmm. basically let me inherit her veterinary team's (laughs) living well group. And it's just a place that we come together to share resources together, um, to provide, you know, different valuable experiences and content for the group and just to provide a space of positivity. I love it. And it, it is a really positive space. Um, I Yay. wish I joined earlier, but I'm glad to be there now. <laughs> We're so. glad to have you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll put a whole bunch of links in the show notes. Um, Perfect. Because we've talked about a lot of resources today, and I want to make mm-hmm. sure everybody has a chance to get to them. But you can always email me at podcast at aha.org if, um, if I forget something, because that does happen. Um, or if <laughs> there's good. something that you want to that you want to have access to that we didn't talk about specifically yeah, today. Absolutely. So, okay. Um, last question then, um, before we leave, this is the post-it question because I'm mm. always so interested, you know, you yes. have so much to offer this profession. I'm so glad you're here. If you could put a post-it on say the, the bathroom mirror of every veterinary professional so that they would see it when they get up in the morning tomorrow and go to work, what mm. would it say? It would probably say, remember to be kind to yourself. Because if being hard on yourself worked, it would have already worked by now. 
Yeah. And man, that would be boring, right? If we were all walking around perfect because we'd been hard on ourselves one time. Right. <laughs> I know. What fun would that be? <laughs> That'd be like right. Stepford World or something. It wouldn't yeah. be good. Oof, like, no. Is, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> so, yeah, we definitely that kindness. Be kind is such a good it's a good um, thing to remember anyway, but so often we don't. Well, we're so good ourselves. at being, yeah, we're so good at being kind to other people and showing mm-hmm. others compassion. And we just either don't know how to turn it inward or we forget to do that. So, yeah. so treat yourself like you would a good friend and be kind to yourself. I love that. <laughs> Melissa Allen, thank you so much for your time and all of your wisdom and all of the resources that will that are here now that you're telling us about and that I'm sure you will be creating in the future for us. I really, really appreciate it. This has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for having me, Katie. Always a pleasure speaking with you. And I'm yeah. so excited to to reach the AHA community now. And thanks to all of you for listening. We will catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.